Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Jenny. And today we're talking about Smashed. Yeah. And Lullaby. Yeah. Smashed is, I forgot that there were two episodes about this. I thought we were watching the other one. Then we started watching it and I was like, why aren't they going to that place? And then I was like, oh, that's the next episode. They are kind of like a two-parter. Yeah. I think. There's been a lot of those in this season. Yeah. Um, Smashed was a little bit what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not the aftermath, which I think is the next episode. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll about talk it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then Lullaby was actually, I was like pleasantly surprised. Oh, okay. Um, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like everything we complained about last week, they kind of did. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, to a degree. Anyway. Okay. How are you? Well, now, yeah, we need to talk about it now. I know. Now I've, like, started the conversation, but I want to backtrack a little bit. That's How fine. are you doing? Uh, not bad. Yeah. A little, little tired, but good otherwise. Well, you said you did something kind of fun last night. <laughs> yeah, I went to, a um, like, a, a live version of 10 Things I Hate About You. And it was, like, an improv-ish troupe kind of thing. Where they just, like, acted out the whole movie, and it was a drinking game. So it was pretty fun. But so what were the rules about when you had to drink? They made it, they had certain words that every time somebody, somebody, one of the characters said them, you had to drink. Um, so. and then the, uh, and then the actors also <laughs> have to drink and oh. they also have to drink anytime somebody in, says their character's name. It's like if they get addressed or somebody's talking about them, then they have to drink too. So they got a little bit, you know, messier towards the end. <laughs> yeah. But the words they picked for this one, for 10 things I hate about you, one was guys, one was daddy or like father. And one was date and dating. That one probably came up the most. But they say the word date a lot. I mean, that's basically the premise of the yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I forget what the other ones were, but there was maybe one or two more. I mean, you don't uh, have to drink along, but. But I did. It was a good time. Oh, before that, we went to see. Oh, oh excuse me. I went with my friend to both of these things. It was a pretty long day. Um, but we also went to see, there's a Frida Kahlo exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. So we went and saw that. Oh, It was wow. long too. It was, uh, we kept being like, oh, there's still more. Like it took us a long time to get through it. Well, she was very prolific. So. She was, but it wasn't really, it was mostly not her work. Um, I've oh. seen another exhibit kind of like this there. It was a lot more like stuff that they found in their house in, um, so it was like a lot of items from, it was a lot of personal items and clothing and photos that people uncovered in their, in their house that she and Diego Rivera lived in together. Okay. So, so it was not like, like a her lot actual of, art, but like They did life. have a few of her paintings, but it was a lot more like, there was a whole, the whole front room was like photos that her dad had taken of her family. And it was cool. Cause like some of them, I, a lot of them I had seen in books before, but, um, there just were a lot more. And then in the final room was also, like, it was a bunch of her outfits. (laughs) You know, so that was cool. They had um, some of her uh, surgery corsets, like, the things that she had to wear after they would do spinal surgery on her. They had those in the room, too. So, yeah. It was kind of, like, yeah. It wasn't all over the place. It was, like, these are a lot of items from her life, and then here's, like, little stories about them. But anyway, how are you? I'm good. I'm in, like... I don't know. I was telling you like before, like weird nesting spring cleaning mode. So mm-hmm. I like just tore through my apartment yesterday. I was like getting rid of a bunch of stuff. It feels really good. But like now I have to actually coordinate the getting rid of it part. And yeah. that's 
that's the part that always trips me up. You know, like I can make a pile in the living room and like how long that pile stays there is really yeah. up to <laughs> how yeah. quickly I like call people to come take it away. Totally. Um, there's this really good service here though that will just like take everything so you don't mm-hmm. have to like go to like Goodwill or the library or like the e-waste, you know, like you can mm-hmm. just have them take everything and like I just, it's kind of, it's kind of expensive compared to like just renting a car and doing it myself, but it's way easier. Save a lot of the trouble. Yeah. And I don't have to carry the heavy stuff downstairs. Yeah. It works really well. They always think though, like they always show up and they're like, okay, where's the mattress in the box spring? And I'm like, you're <laughs> not moving a mattress in a box spring. <laughs> So I'll have to do that at some point. But I don't know. It feels really good. Like, I think every year I just try to, like, pare stuff down a little more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work because then, you know, I it just, like, buy yeah. stuff during the year. But I guess as long as I keep it to, like, a consistent level, yeah. I won't feel like I have yeah. too much stuff. I mean, I do feel like I have too much stuff. I was thinking about this. Like, I have almost been here now for 10 years. And mm-hmm. I've almost been in this apartment for six years. Or I guess I have been in this apartment for six wow. years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And... I, this is the longest I've ever physically lived in one place, like Mm -hmm. both city wise and also in one actual like apartment. Yeah. And I was looking around the other day and I was like, I remember when I moved to San Francisco and I like, I didn't have anything with me. Like I, you know, I brought like, (laughs) I think I brought like a mattress and a box spring and then I had like, you know, my books and like some kitchen stuff, but like. Mm -hmm. I barely had, like, you know, like, compared to now, like, I barely had any clothes or, like, all this stuff. I'm like, where did all this stuff come from? Yeah. Yeah. just slowly accumulates, you know? Yeah. And moving is really a great way to, like, truly purge things. And I haven't done that in six years. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm, like, trying to do it, like, approach it from the mindset of, like, I'm moving. And I'm not. But I, I, like, I find that helpful for, like, just being really brutal. Yeah. Anyway. And it's all to make space for new stuff that I bought. So, you know, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's a vicious yeah. cycle. <laughs> anyway, I, I was feeling very, like, virtuous yesterday and tired. Okay. It's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But I did manage to watch Buffy and Angel, so... <laughs> Thank goodness. Good segue. Um, killer segue. I know. I, I'm, I'm a master. You know me. So let's talk about Smash. Smashed, yeah. Um, destroying a house and all that. So, oh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, don't, I didn't mean to bring that point up it's immediately. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. So, okay. We're kind of in the aftermath of Tabula Rasa where Tara has moved out and left Willow. Willow's obviously kind of mopey and sad, but she, in her kind of sad rumblings, like she's talking to Amy, the rat, and kind of wishing like, oh, I can't even make you a rat, you know, and um, realizes make suddenly that... Make you not that, a rat. Make you not a rat, thank you. And realizes suddenly that actually, in fact, maybe she can help mm-hmm. Amy transform back. And she just calls a spell out of thin air and speaks the words and suddenly, poof, Amy is no longer rat. Amy is human again. Um, however, it has been three years since Amy was human, and so Willow has to kind of bring her up to speed on the fact that she wasn't just a rat for a few weeks. She Mm -hmm. was a rat for three years, and a lot has happened in the meantime, such as Sunnydale High School blowing up, high school being over, various people from high school being dead, among other things. And Amy's understandably a little rattled and also just really trying to, like, cope with this transition. And the way that kind of manifest is she sort of wants Willow to kind of go out with her and like 
Amy is obviously from the get-go, despite three years of being a, uh, a rat, just, you know, throwing magic around like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Willow's kind of happy to be around someone who just embraces magic in this way and, um, you know, lets Amy talk her into going out. And they have a wild night out at the bronze where they basically run spells on anyone in their vicinity, you mm-hmm. know, just regardless of whether that's ethical or not, and have a you know, fun witchy night out bonding, I suppose. And Mm -hmm. Amy's enjoying being human again and Willow's enjoying just like not having to think about the consequences of using her magic. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, Buffy is trying to deal with the aftermath of having kissed Spike yet again. Mm -hmm. Um, Spike seems to think that that means something and Buffy's trying to tell him and maybe herself that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So the whole episode, she's trying to fend his romantic advances off and then also eventually his violent advances as Spike realizes that he can hit Buffy and Mm -hmm. not suffer the debilitating headaches that he gets from hitting other humans. And he has to go to Warren and the trio to figure out that his chip is in fact still working. Mm -hmm. Um, This all culminates with him confronting Buffy and they get in a pretty violent fight that then turns into pretty violent sex in a house that they Mm -hmm. tear apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can talk about that. And meanwhile, like, Xander and Anya seem pretty aware of, like, why Tara left Willow and are kind of explaining to Buffy, like, you know, Willow's kind of too free with magic. And Willow is exhibiting this behavior in front of all of them in the course of them trying to investigate their latest antics of the trio. And everybody's a little bit, I think, cautious about Willow's use of magic and Willow's just kind of blazing ahead as Mm -hmm. normal. Yeah, that's smashed. Um, Also just that the trio did their little heist yeah. Um, yeah, they, they got a diamond. Got a diamond, have a freeze ray. Well, where do you want to jump in? I know, I was like, <laughs> what do we talk about first? Okay, um, well, since I just said it, and I don't think there's that much to do... I mean, the trio's in and out of this episode, but I don't feel like they're the crux of anything, really, so um, I think we could talk about them kind of briefly. That I, I did like this intro with them, you know, robbing the, robbing the museum, stealing this big diamond so that they can use their freeze ray, mostly because, like, you know, it just, I guess... I still enjoy their dynamic, you know, for now, the between the among the three of them, between the three of them, whichever. Um as they, you know, they like kind of heckle each other and they're just peppering these nerd jokes or whatever. Like I think it was funny watching Andrew be you know, on wires or whatever. I did wonder Oh, his mission impossible. Yeah, thing. yeah. I guess what it what it made me think about though is it is pretty cartoony for them, you know, for the show. And, like, Buffy has always really, I think all of Joss Whedon is, like, pretty steeped in, like, a level of cheese, but not necessarily a level of cartoon. And I thought that was kind of weird. I, when I, like, sat back and thought about it, I was like, is, I liked watching that scene while it was going on. But then when I was like, they literally just used a freeze ray on a guy and he just froze. Like, is that where the show is? It's a little shocking. You know, it didn't because... bother me, but I... I feel like it should, I guess, no, is I know, what I'm saying. No, I know what you're thinking, because, like, I watched that scene, and I was kind of like, oh, really? Like, it also raised a bunch of questions for me of, like, mm-hmm. about Warren and, like, his assurances that, oh, it'll, like, he'll just defrost in a couple of days. And, like, that felt really cartoony. Like, you freeze a guy solid, and yeah, and just then he'll defrost be in a couple of days and be okay. He's yeah. going to be dead. And so, like... For me, that raised some questions about, like, Warren's assurances to his friends and, like, whether or not he's already advancing to, like, a higher level of, like, villain. Oh, than, and than I totally Andrew think and, he is. Yeah. yeah. I definitely... But the cartooniness of, like, Freeze Ray, like, I I had the same kind of thought where I was like, are, 
it's almost like they're doing like a Doctor Evil kind of like kind evil, of you know where it's well, like yeah and because I know I'll just freeze him and then we'll get a dime you know it's I think it's, specific, it's cartoony I think specifically too because even and maybe this is just my weird interpretation of what a freeze ray gun is but like most of the time that really weird things happen in Buffy it can be at least brushed aside as something mystical and magical. And I feel like they sort of are trying to pass this off as like science. So I think that's why it's also so jarring is it's like, wait a minute, this isn't obeying any laws of reality. And Buffy, while it does take place in a magical reality, does take place in the real world. You know, like gravity still exists. Physics still work the same here. So like that, again, it was just like, I don't know about this, but it's just a small quibble though. Cause like I said, I mean, it doesn't really amount to that much. I don't really care if they want to push the boundaries every once in a while, but I am curious if that's a thing that continues to happen or not, you know, for this season. Yeah. I, I feel like they kind of tried to nod to some of it, like the whole break in without tripping any alarms. Like they're like, Oh, it's just Sunnydale. Like there are no alarms here. Like, Mm -hmm. which seems bizarre that they have a diamond of that size. And the only security security. system is like, Ernie. They've also had really severe break-ins in the past. Of, like yeah, killed a lot of people. With the mummy and like all this stuff. So it's a little bit strange. Um, yeah. But yeah, the... I And I think Willow tried to kind of wave it off as like just severe hypothermia and like the guy was still in a coma but like also had, you know, like hadn't died just his system slowed way down. But like I don't know. That to me feels different from being like frozen solid. Um, maybe that's just the way they were talking about it. But yeah, I, he like whips out a freeze ray and it's just a little bit like, wait, what universe are we, are we in now? Yeah, yeah, It, it is weird. And I think it's, it does, it's not helped by then later in the episode, Buffy and Anya and Xander are talking about this and, and they're calling it all kind of lame. And I think they just mean like not mystical. Like it's not the kind of stuff they're used to dealing with. Like it's all very mundane and like human. Mm Mm-hmm. But given that we saw an actual freeze ray, I just, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm with you. I guess I will say the one sort of effective bit about this that I think you kind of alluded to, and maybe this was unintentional, but that I do think it's on purpose that Warren doesn't care about using it. You know, he doesn't care that Jonathan's arm is frozen. He doesn't care that they froze that security guard. I would be, I, I think he believes that it's probably going to be fine that that guy probably won't die. But I also think he really wouldn't care either way. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is kind of as with everything with the trio that is like maybe accidentally really effective about them watching them in 2019 is that like kind of, it is another layer of like, it makes it seem like this is all really harmless, but we know that it's not. No, I do or think that's we'll a really see good... that it's not. So I think in that way, it's kind of effective. I guess I just think it's a weird thing to kind of sprinkle into this already pretty convoluted other world, you know? Yeah. No, and I think that's a really good thing to bring up because it's not clear at this point whether the show is doing it intentionally, but, like, yeah, they are they kind are of raising more, this think, question of, like, the dynamic between the three of them where it's, like, one of them, like, they're all doing this for fun. Like, right. oh, we're tired of not being taken seriously and we're smart and we have all this money now so we're gonna go on a super villain spree in Sunnydale and it all sounds so cartoony like it sounds like like we were talking about this before like they sound like they're talking from a comic book where like in the heightened world of comics it's like okay sure but like in real life that would be insane right 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 so like Jonathan and Warren like I mean Andrew like seem to be 
treating as kind of a lark. Like even Andrew doing the Mission Impossible thing when he doesn't need to. Right. I'm like right. he he thought that would be fun. Like he was right. like, oh, I'm gonna be Tom Cruise and like do that this way, even though it was clear he didn't need to. But like, why go to all that trouble unless you want to like live out some kind of fantasy, right? Right. Right. And but I think Warren, that's, yeah, exactly, seems to be like treating this a little bit more seriously and then also taking the villainy a little bit farther. Like his casual attitude towards the security guard really alarmed me. And like, I yeah. know where this is going with Warren, but even so yeah. I was just like, yeah. Oh my God, Warren. Like I, especially yeah. because in that scene, the way Warren or the actor who plays mm-hmm. Warren was talking, he just reminded me so much of Xander. Yeah. And I just <laughs> had this thought where like he could totally He's be Xander in another alter ego. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And so all of that together is, like, really alarming against this, like, almost lighthearted background. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do think that it's mostly intentional. Because I think, really, all the things that we're talking about are totally consistent with how the trio ends up. Like, that Jonathan and and Andrew are really haven't... They haven't taken the time to stop and consider what they're really doing. They are just having fun, and they are just trying to act out these things that they've been consuming for their whole lives. And Warren is doing that to an extent, but he also knows that... This is my interpretation on everything, you know, but relates back to the scene. I think I think Warren knows that they're doing that, and he and he's... You know, he's using them too, I guess is what I'm saying. So the fact that they want to have fun and that that aligns up with kind of where where he ultimately is going to end up going or wants to go is he's using that to his advantage too. But I do think it's pretty, yes, I think that, I said this was going to be a short discussion about the trio and it turns out there's a lot to say, but I do think that this was a very demonstrative scene of where Warren's at and I think that that was intentional, that he doesn't care about it and that they're happy yeah. to listen to what he says because they don't want to think about it. They would care if they thought about it. Perhaps. Yeah. And then also I think worth noting that then later when they're trying to deal with Spike, none of this is very apparent. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're all terrified of Spike. Right. So they're kind of all back on the same, like, headspace, I guess. Mm-hmm. Although Warren is the one who has to kind of, like, actually do the work of calming Spike down and right. reassuring him that his chip is working. Yeah. Should we talk about how Spike just walked into the lair? Yeah. Oh, was it daylight? No. Is that what you mean? But he oh, wasn't okay. invited. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah. It was fun. Was it daylight too, or am I just making things up now? No, I think it was nighttime. It may as well have been daylight. But it was clear that they had never interacted with him before because they were all like, I think that's Spike. Right. And first of all, how they would know who Spike is, I don't know. Well, Warren knows. That's Warren's true. worked with him before. Oh, that's true. So he probably that's, told them. I forgot about that. Wait, so is that why Spike could just walk in? Because he'd been there before to get his robot? Is yeah, that maybe. what we're supposed yeah, to infer? I suppose. I'm, I'm going to tell myself that because I had, like, I sat bolt upright. was like, how did he just do that? Yeah, because they're living in Warren's house, aren't they? It's Warren's basement, I thought. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um... But yeah, I mean, I it'll always be funny to me that he uh, gets them to do what he wants because he's like doesn't even bother threatening them also because he can't, but that he just threatens their Boba Fett collectible figure is like pretty funny. Yeah, I'm into it. And also it's really smart of Spike who I, I kind of forgot. I was like, oh, the whole reason he's there is to check if his chip is working, but he can't attack them. So he has to find some other way to threaten them. And I was like, oh, what a good what a, what a smart little way to do that. And also probably these are three men who care more about their Boba Fett collection and action figures than their own, like, safety. Right. Agreed. Um, but yeah, so I like that scene. 
I guess what what do we make of the kind of revelation then out of that effort is that Spike realizes his ship is still totally functional, but he can hurt Buffy, attack Buffy, whatever the right phrase is for his ship. Well, Spike seems to infer that it means, like, Buffy came back wrong. Right. And Buffy takes obvious offense to that. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, she I seems to more or less feel the same way that it suggests something is off. Yeah, I don't know why the, his immediate instinct is to go beat her up. Um, I mean, I think I kind of get. what... <laughs> I just don't. Again, yeah, this is, is like, this my? Is this his shining moment? Is this a great episode for the two of them? No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, yeah. I did he go there to beat her up? Oh, you know what? There is I. There, I think the twisted reason is because at the beginning of the episode, she was so mean to him. So now he finds out he can be mean back and actually have, like, a threat behind it, I think is kind of why they, he falls down that path a little bit. But what was it that she said to him at the beginning of the episode that was so mean when he was, like, he was being annoying and he needed to stop and accept that she didn't want to kiss him anymore, but he, she said something... I forget what this quote was, but it was... I was like, wow, Buffy, that was, like, pretty brutal. I don't know that you need to go that far. Because she called him a thing? yeah. I, she did. And I mean, that's kind of what Buffy does is like, it's true. She lets him yeah. get close and then she gets really real. I mean, she yeah. did that yeah. know, last season too. Like she treats him then like the lowest piece of scum on yeah, her shoe exactly. or something. Yeah. So I, I, yes, I, does Spike need to lay off or should he, if he were a responsible adult human in this situation? Yes. But he's a monster and she is not helping things. But like, he's not focused on proving her wrong. Like he, this is where I get really frustrated with this whole thing. And like, I think this is purposeful where like, this is a messed up dynamic. Like I, all these like, Oh, Buffy and Spike, woo. You know, it's like, if you pay attention, you should not be shipping this. Like it is. Okay. Well, and wait, I, I, (laughs) because I want to make this point where she calls him a thing and Spike realizes in that conversation slash fight that, you know, he can punch Buffy and not feel pain. Mm -hmm. And his immediate, his immediate reaction is my chip is broken. I'm going to go out and prove this exact thing and like try to murder someone. Well, I guess that's interesting though, because what I thought was, I thought in that scene, I agree. And he is doing these things. I, I think that he hesitated before he tried to bite that woman though. I think he kind of, I guess I'm just saying that he is trying to prove something to himself. He's trying to prove something to himself, but it's not, I, I guess I'm just saying that he has, I think shown, that he's I don't want to call it growth exactly but I think he has changed from living this way for so long and I don't mean it just that he's like not used to it anymore I think it you know he's hanging around the Scoobies all the time like fighting evil I think he is growing and changing and I I know that like you don't like this as the explanation but I mean again I, I have to say he is a vampire who doesn't have a soul so that he still has these inclinations that's what they've established is true in this world. I mean, even in Angel, like we've just like in this episode of Angel, like we see all the crazy messed up stuff that Darla is still talking about and doing constantly. It's because she doesn't have a soul like that's it's really not fair to always it just because they so often treat Spike like he does have one and they sort of write him in these ways. It is easy to forget that that's kind of the backbone of where he is right now. So I know I'm I not think, saying it's no, good. I, I, I actually, just think it's. I'm okay with that explanation because I think you're right. I think that's the only way that you can watch this and it makes sense because if Spike is saying, I love you, like, and he says it, like he's saying, you know, I love you or whatever, but his like immediate instinct is to go hit her and like also to like go prove to himself that he 
can finally go eat a person and like, yeah, I agree with you. He seems to be struggling, but it is also the first thing that he wants to go do. And like, so but I think, it's again, not that though, he's truly it, changed, like yet, but, because I think they're still. I think it's an interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying the he's, next episode of Angel because, like, I think they truly are trying to make this claim about the limitations that you have without a soul. Where like right. you might want to change, but like you can't. you're not truly changed. You're just like in Spike's case, he's just muzzled most of the time. But I think it means something that he even hesitated at all then because no other vampire without a soul would even bother. So I guess that's where I'm saying it does kind of feel like, and I, I think muzzled is a good metaphor, but you know, like it is, these are his instincts. That's how he lives is by eating people. And that's obviously gross and messed up, but like we're watching this show. So like, that's, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I, I know. I just like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this show and I'm it's hard because he's a human as, and he looks like a human and they treat him like a human so much in the show. And so it's hard yes. to kind of divorce these things all the time. But I, and I do feel like think they that, only that, want him to be a monster when it suits the story. And yes. it's, it's a little frustrating because I also remember like I was watching, I was watching the end of this episode and I remember watching this episode when I was a probably sophomore in high school. Okay. And I, so I was 15 years old and I remember watching this episode and I remember being so excited that Buffy and Spike finally got together and the implications (laughs) of how totally went over my head and I watch it now like I was watching it yesterday and I was just like this is the most unhealthy thing I've ever watched on TV like I just (laughs) it's true like that the embarking of this I don't even want to call it a relationship but they're physical relationship I suppose yeah just I think it's still okay to call it a relationship a relationship with really bad dynamics is still a relationship yeah you know it's just I mean we were talking last time about like Willow's abusive treatment of Tara and like that's more psychological this is full-on physical abuse like that the the start of their relationship is like Spike gleefully going and punching her and Buffy punching back and them like having this like violence morph into like sex is just like yeah it's it's honestly it made me uncomfortable. It and made me cringe. I do not like that. I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> and I just like remembered myself, fifteen year old me, watching this. Yeah. And thinking it yeah. was somehow good. And I was just like, I was like, this is why stuff gets normalized and why behavior goes unchecked. Because I was like, this was like the promos, everything. I think it was all sold as like this great romantic event and like it's oh, so yeah, that's interesting yeah I don't I don't know if that's true but I do think like the storyline like and, and also thinking you know I spend a lot of time for the the you know the production of this looking up like still images from these mm-hmm. episodes and like people's doctoring of these images as like this epic love story and I'm I'm like like oh remember that like I saw on Twitter the other day they're like oh Bella and Edward broke a bed it was like Buffy and Spike broke a whole house and I'm uh. like those are not the same thing <laughs> like those dynamics like say what you will about Twilight I'm I don't well know that we should be enough. celebrating Buffy and Spike breaking a house yeah 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 so I guess I just want to go back to one thing because I think this is a, a fundamental I'm sorry, I went on a little diet no I think that <laughs> you and I have a fundamental disagreement about some things I think it's just because we watch. Like, we do, we watch so many of the same things. We've watched so much TV and movies together, but we still have these, like, really interesting schisms, I think. And I guess I just, I want to clarify, part, part of this is how I've had to deal with, I agree. When, when I first watched Buffy, I totally, I was Team Buffy, I'm sorry, Team Spike. I like Spike. I'm glad that he, whatever. 
So coming back and watching it again, as, as everything, every, every season that we've watched with this fine tooth comb, it's like changed my views about a lot of things. And also I'm just older and the world has changed. And so these things all look different watching them now than they did 10 years ago. Right. So I think we're both in agreement about that. So it is, it is, yes, the more we watch this, the more it's clear that from the get go, they've had a really messed up relationship and it's not a good one. At least maybe when we get to season seven, we can, you know, maybe that's a, a different turn that we can talk about, but I do understand the things that you're saying, but I think it's kind of the same way that like I, what I'm uh, all I'm trying to say is that I think shipping things doesn't necessarily mean that you support all of the dynamics around it. Like they're still, I think, who I believe the core of of Buffy to be and who I believe the core of Spike to be. It's fun for me to imagine them being together. So, like, I guess it's not. I don't, I don't feel like it's fair to say that like, oh, if you ship these people, you're supporting all of this. Because like, if we ship Angel, we're not supporting 200 year olds dating 16 year olds. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I don't, I, I do think that people have to be careful about the way they watch media and the way they talk about media. And I do think that that is like, that it's important that we have, that we talk about how bad their dynamic is. But I don't think at its core, shipping somebody necessarily means you support everything that they do in the show with all of those characters. In fact, I would say most shipping ends up in fan fiction because people don't like the way that they, the show writers actually end up making it happen. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, you're dissatisfied because they didn't weren't true to the characters the way that you see them. So it's like, for me, I think that's the big thing. I don't think that the show is true to who Spike really should be. And I think that they, as you said, they, they use him the ways that they need to in the moment. And that really makes for a a rough character sometimes. Um, But I still like Spike. I like season five Spike protecting Don for no reason other than his love for her and Buffy. And I think that that's ultimately when I ship Spike, that's who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of this monster who managed to, even with the help of a muzzle, overcome some things and learn how to love people again, kind of. That sounded so cheesy, but you maybe hopefully see a little bit of at all what I'm trying to say. No, actually, I I really, I do see what you're saying. And I, and I actually agree with it. I just... Like, it's fine to ship on this episode me, because this is bad no, nonsense, I, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to be clear that I, when I'm talking about like the discomfort and the things we shouldn't be like, I just, it's because I see these like things online of like, they're just glossing over all of this or they're celebrating these problematic moments like, right, in the right. isolation. And it's like, that to me makes me uncomfortable, but like, I totally know what you mean. Like I still on some level ship Buffy and Spike and it's not because, it's because of this. It's because, it's because of James Marsters is in, so, yeah. Yes. It's his speech at the end of season five. Yes. It's his yes. Singing in the last episode. I better help her out. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, every yeah. time he nails it and gets it right. It's him actually like choosing on his own at the end of this season to go and get a soul. Like right. those are the things that make you ship it. But like, I just they take watching so many, this episode. Yeah. I was like, I just cannot get on board with this. I like, can't. I and I and I agree with you. I mean, we watched the end of this episode. I like looked away from the TV. I was like, this is bad, and I hate this. I hate, I hate that scene. I never. I don't know if I swooned in that scene the first time. Probably because I'm a bit of a prude and it's like a lot to take in. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure I was ever totally on board with this scene specifically. But as as the same way with that like. I, I don't think I'm that much of a prude anymore, but like we talked about this too, that like Buffy and Riley sex all day in the dorm room episode, like that one, I hate that one. And I don't <laughs> like this either. And it's not only because of the really twisted bad dynamics, but it's just like, I don't know. Is this really what we were doing? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, but I agree that this is poorly wrought. I don't, it's a bad example. I, 
And, it is and it's tough. not it's clear what they're... Because, because I think the yes. show is muddying the message. Exactly, exactly. I don't know what the message is supposed to be. If the like, show is, was clear is about Is supposed to be this... giving in to a monster? Is that supposed to be a good thing? Is she supposed to be finding the good in him? Or is it supposed to be romantic? Is it supposed to just be like they're both at their lowest and like taking it yeah. on each other? I don't know. Well, it's, and here's another, just to throw one more wrench in here, and I think that you would agree with this too from... Or a thing that is certainly true is that when you make any piece of narrative art, you're writing a book, you're making a TV show, you're making a movie, you, the writer and the creators, might mean one thing and the marketing department might use it out of context to just promote it. Like, so the fact that you're saying, like, like you maybe vaguely recall the marketing around it being like, this is the moment, this finally happens, I believe that that is true because that's how marketing departments work and not to like poo poo on marketing departments. But I have been privy to a lot of things where it's like, I see what they do and I'm like, well, that's not the point of that book at all. Or that's not the point of that show at all. And like, it's, it, you know, they get really far off with it because they just need to hit certain words and catch people's attention. Know, so I guess I'm just saying that I don't know if it's what they did. I just have this vague memory and I don't know if it's because like, you know, and this season was not airing on the WB. This was on UPN mm-hmm. and I just, you know, they're trying to, bring the audience over and I just have this like sense that they were playing up the romance I think you're probably right Buffy is a show that lived and died on its romance right like that's how it got popular the whole Buffy Angel thing and so trying to kind of like recapture that magic but like but then I don't know if they did I just like have a vague memory of it and I I probably could go on YouTube and try to find some promos or something but like I but I, I guess know. either even if that isn't true, I guess that my point still is that it, it does sometimes also add extra mud to like this. I think I, I think we're maybe in agreement about this season so far has turned out to be a lot more nuanced than I remember. I yeah. think that they're often. I think that the writers know that this is a bad relationship, and I think that's what they're trying to say. But I do feel like it does get a little bit foggy when you take a step away and it's like well is that always the way that they've directed it and is that the way that they advertise it and the fact that those things aren't always consistent it just makes it so hard to tell like well what was really going on but I do feel like when we're not thinking about anything outside the show and we're not thinking about what everybody's kind of memories of what this season was like are and when you and I are just like literally watching this week to week I feel like for the most part this season has been pretty consistent and I think that they think it's bad yeah and I I, I, I mean I, I say that now and I don't know much. what happens wanna, in the next episode so <laughs> I want to I want to call back though. We got an email like a while ago and I forgive me do not remember from from who. But it was a really good take I think on the the disappointment a little bit of yeah. how this kind of plays out of like Yeah. because of the end of season 5, Spike honestly that's his shining moment. It like is. Yeah. his speech to Buffy, he's so selfless like everything. And so when she comes back alive and he's there for her and the only one he she can really yeah. talk to about how she was in heaven and all of that. I mean, it's so hopeful in a way. Yeah. And then it turns into this and it's, I think it is I a think, disappointment. Well, and there's an episode later in the season that we all know about, but I think that really gets a lot of the discussion around how dysfunctional this really turns out to be. Well, but like, yeah, I think from this email that we got outlined some really interesting thoughts about this. Yeah, and I, no, and I know what you're talking about. And maybe that's what's in my head while I'm too. watching just, it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just... Do you know who, who sent it? Yeah, but I don't know if people want us to say their names on the podcast. Okay, well... I always meant to ask, and then I never did. But I know whose email that is, and I know what you're talking about. And I will say that specifically one of the things that they pointed out is that 
I, I agree that it's a disappointment and that it feels like it's going to be this one thing and then it's not. But also even going back and watching those for early episodes in this season, when Buffy's spilling her guts to Spike because he's the only one who can listen. And what, what I remember this person saying is that like, once you realize what's going on, it looks like this great moment where she's opening up to him because he's the only one that can understand her. And what's really happening is that she, he doesn't even rate as a person to her. So she can, he, he's like spilling into a void because he's nothing. I was like, yeah. oh, you're and so, so right, and that's so messed up. So as much as we're talking is, about how, and how bad Spike is in this episode, Buffy has been, she really does treat him like he's literally a thing or, okay, or worse. I, I want to be really clear yeah. that I'm not giving Buffy a pass. In this. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. No, I don't think you are. I don't think you are. And yeah. like a full willing participant in this messed up dynamic. In this dynamic. But, like, agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, yeah. I just have had this like, that that thought in my head after reading that email, totally, like watching yeah. this season and like I... I agree. Like I just, yeah, it really, when you watch it with this lens, it's, it's, it's different. Tough. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. <laughs> it is. But I, I, but you're, yeah, but to everybody's point that I never real, yes, yes. When you're first watching this and you don't know where it's going and your little heart is still pounding because Spike was so beautiful in the end of season five and then Buffy spills her guts to him and you think this is it. They're finally going to connect on this better, deeper level. And it doesn't turn into that. It is heartbreaking a little bit as a fan, you know, it's like, man, I know that you guys have to like kill people off sometimes to like keep things interesting, but you also kill off their, like all the good things that they had going between them just to torture us as viewers. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, I still hate this scene. (laughs) I don't like the way, I don't like the dynamic. I think even if the show is on the side of this is a bad relationship and they're bad for each other and they're only doing this for the wrong reasons, like Buffy's mad about Giles leaving and, you know, aren't she still sad about being brought back from the dead and from all of the crazy things that she has to deal with as a slayer. But like, they do still linger on that scene for a long time. Okay, I'm going to say one nice thing about it, though. Okay. I like Buffy's skirt. <laughs> she's never even wearing skirts. She's just wearing a skirt so that they can have sex without undressing I know. them. It's, it's totally in service Calculated. of like, the need for the scene. <laughs> like wardrobe department was like, what can we do? But like, I don't know. I like the long leather skirt. It looks cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we Yeah, move we on? should move on. <laughs> okay. I do want to say that, okay, so obviously a, a huge thing in this episode is that Amy comes back. It is one of my all-time favorite scenes or, like, moments when Buffy comes in and she's like, how have you been? And Amy says, rat, you? Dead. Dead. I think that's a great, (laughs) that is a great scene. I love it still. I think what was the most surprising to me about the whole Amy storyline, and again, I think, like, oddly, oh, are the writers great and totally consistent in everything they've ever done? I mean, I know that they're not, but maybe in this moment. I have a lot of questions about Amy and a lot of questions about how powerful she is and Willow. I mean, I think they're kind of going off the rails a little bit with, like, what you know, straining credulity a lot in that realm. But I did think it's notable that Amy really doesn't take any time to like recover from what she's gone through. You know, she's clearly been through a traumatic event. She's missed a lot of things. And she, I think instead of, you know, she doesn't want to go talk to her dad. She doesn't want to really deal with it. She just moves on. And I think I kind of just the same thing is like, oh, I never really thought about like, well, of course she is not in a good place and is going to end up doing these terrible things because she's also like experiencing trauma and not dealing with it. Yeah. She's completely running away from like, I mean, in, in some ways she makes a great foil for Willow because she's, 
she's also using magic, like, and in her enjoyment in magic to, like, not confront the dark side of it, which was that she had a spell go horribly wrong. She lost three years of her life. She doesn't want to engage in it on any real level. Like, she doesn't want to, like you said, she doesn't want to talk to her dad. She doesn't want to, like, stop and, like, assess, like, the impact. She Mm -hmm. just wants to keep going with, like, the fun parts of magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Willow... Not again, you know, just totally willing to go along with this, and also maybe not being a great friend in that moment. Exactly. Is just like, like, sure. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, Willow. And, you know. I mean, Willow. Willow and all of this. Like, I, I think it's so funny that she just now brings Amy back. Like, I was, I was thinking this is a great little window into like Willow's selfish use of magic. That like, it only now occurred to her that she could transform right. Amy back. Only when she, she needed could, a friend, literally. Yeah. That, that she needed Amy to be human, so she spent the time to think about whether she yes. could yes, actually do it. Totally. Whereas, like, she probably has been able to do that for, like, a season. Years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, and that she's, yeah, that she's not going to push Amy to, like, think about where she's been or help her recover at all because she just doesn't think that's a thing. I, I kind of feel like Willow has convinced herself that nobody needs that. Okay, but... I mean, also, it's clear that Willow is not in her own way, also not processing the true reasons for her breakup. Well, for sure. Yeah. She's like, she's talking to Amy at the beginning and she's like, they leave you for no good reason. Or, Oh my God. I know. Or she's, and then she's like, Oh, things that didn't matter, you know? Like, and it's like, like invading your friend's mind. Those are things that don't matter. Like, and she's offer offering to do the same spell for Amy. I'm just like, yeah, I know. Oh my God. I know. God, Willow's the worst. <laughs> she she really has become. Yeah. A, she, she's not getting this at all. And, and I, But I think it's like, that's what I mean. Like, she and Amy are so interesting together because, like, neither of them is willing to actually do the work of confronting these these bad things in their lives and, like, whether they're responsible in some way. Because, like, also think about it. Amy's the reason she became a rat. Like, True. that's why she can't really be angry at anyone. True. Because, like, it's her own spell. Nobody knew what it was. Yeah. It went wrong. Yeah. And again, and so not confronting it is like not wanting to think about like what she did to herself. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I think my biggest complaint that I kind of alluded to, though, is that I they really are playing fast and loose with like, what is witchcraft and how is it done? Because it does yeah. seem like up until this point, Will has needed quite a bit of prep time, you know, and even if we're kind of following along in like Harry Potter rules, like they don't learn how, learn how to do voiceless spells until year seven. You know what I mean? And it's like all of a sudden they're just pointing they're just Sabrina the Teenage Witching everything. And it's like, that's not really how magic has been used this whole time. And I don't believe that Amy, as a rat, for three years, has kept up witch level-wise no. with Willow. Even if she was a little bit ahead of where Willow was before, Willow is definitely ahead of her now. And it was, like, a little bit silly to suggest that, like, they can just go into the bronze and poof, poof, poof everything. I had a huge problem with that scene for that reason. Like, they're not even saying any words. Yeah. They're just, like wishing something into existence and maybe it's we're supposed to think they did a spell on themselves to be able to do that I don't know it would have been nice to see it because yeah. like every other spell as you're saying on this show has been like a production yeah like so involved and like even the one they used to like bring Buffy back had all this stuff and like literally they're just pointing at people and like turning them into sheep like yeah yeah how yeah how is that happening yeah yeah so I didn't and, love that and I think Amy, too, like I said, it's interesting to bring her in with Willow, but I think it's also this interesting wrinkle of, like you said, we don't really know a lot about her history of magic and why she would be able to keep up with Willow, especially after being a rat for three years. And yeah. Like, especially because the reason she was a rat is because her grasp on magic seems yeah, kind of shaky. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
we don't know enough about Amy because like her history on the show has also been really shaky. Like she's almost the villain in one episode and mm-hmm. then it turns out it's her mom and then she's um, helping when she do that spell for Cordelia mm-hmm. and like, you know, it's like Amy's never really been a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah. And it's, she's always brought in when like there needs to be some kind of magical element. Yeah. But this is a leap. Yeah. I think. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> the one other tidbit that I really liked out of this exchange where, Will, uh, sorry, where Amy is kind of just being caught up on what's happened is that one of the things that Buffy tells her is that there's blue Gatorade now. And I was like, yeah. that really put me back. I was like, man, there was a time where there wasn't blue Gatorade. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it was in 2000 was when there wasn't blue Gatorade. The one that made me laugh was she was like, sorry about your mom. And then she was like, did you hear about Tom and Nicole? Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. <sighs> Like, Uh, oh, yeah, what year was this? (laughs) So, I mean, on the flip side, I have to say, once again, that Tara is just the superhero. Like, how good is Tara? Tara is being a a parent figure to her girlfriend's friend's sister. You know what I mean? It's like, I get that they have a a different relationship than that, and I think it's appropriate for her to do this, but, like, she is so sweet to Dawn in that scene, and, like, that she's still hanging out with her and making sure that somebody is looking after Dawn because we do kind of, you know, I think that will become a thing kind of is that they do sort of brush her to the side a lot of the time that like, I just, I thought that scene was so sweet. It really is. And also kind of highlighted, like, I mean, again, this is my problem with Dawn is like a few episodes ago, she was staying out all night, having her first kiss, like up to, you know, no good. And in this scene with Tara, she really seems to be acting like a child, like, you know, eating a milkshake and yeah. Talking about, like, you know, not like Tara's trying to make sure she eats like real food. And I'm like, Dawn's acting like she's eight. Yeah. And like a few episodes ago, she was trying to pretend she's all grown up and can, like, you know, she's 15, like going out all night. I'm like, it's a little bit like the the inconsistent writing of Dawn is still bothering me. That's true. Um, But what I also liked about that scene was like, you know, it's clear that Dawn understands on some level why Tara left, but not really the mm-hmm. the right reasons where she thought Willow was just careless with magic and her spell went wrong and Tara's angry, but not understanding like the level to which Willow actually violated yeah. Tara's mind. But and uh, yeah. Tara's not sharing that with her. And I think like, you know, yeah. Treating Dawn like with kid gloves. Like I don't well, know. If, I don't know though. Well, no, because, no one seems to really I was understand. Say, I don't think. Extent. I don't think anybody knows exactly what Willow did to Tara. Because yeah. when they were all talking about it, it definitely. Seemed, I got the impression that they don't know either. You know, they know about. Yes, they all know that she's using too much magic and that that is what's causing fights between her and Tara. But I don't think they know about the violation. And I don't think that's. I don't even really think that's a kid glove thing with Dawn. I think that's like yeah. If she's not even telling everybody else, and I think she's also just so hurt by it that it's like. I can understand not wanting to tell people. It's like any other violation. If someone does it, it's like hard to talk about because you feel like a fool kind of, you know? So I don't think that's necessarily she's doing that because, oh, because Don's too young to hear about it. I think that's just kind of like a really tricky thing to discuss with anyone. Yeah. And it also made me wonder to what degree they all understand what actually happened. I don't think they do. Yeah. I don't think they know. How much did Willow really explain? Like they know they lost their memories because she had a spell go wrong. Yeah. But I like, don't think they know. Also, even the way Willow's talking about it to Amy, like, really casually, like, oh, you just, like, might want to write your name in your jacket Yeah, or yeah. Like... She didn't learn anything. Like, you literally erased everyone's identity, and you're just flippantly, like... Yeah. I don't know. I, honestly, the casualness at which Willow is just becoming awful Yeah. Is well done, I It guess. is. It is, yeah. She's being terrible. <sighs> okay. We should probably move on yeah. to Lullaby. That's what I've got. Uh, okay. 
So we'll talk about Angel. <laughs> talk about Lullaby, which I agreed to do the summary for. <laughs> um, so, I mean... I guilted you into it. You guilted it. me okay. into it. It's fine. I apologize in advance. Um, so this one, again, picks up where the last one left off, which is that Angel is confronting Holtz in the um, hotel while Darla is starting to give birth in the alley. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to kind of quickly go through what happens is that, you know, basically Angel and Holtz have a big confrontation. Angel manages to escape. Meanwhile, um, Darla and the gang get attacked by other <laughs> um, by other demons and Darla ends up making a run for it on her own and escaping. Um, so everybody's, they don't know where Darla is while she's giving birth. Holtz is on the trail and Angel now knows that. Uh, and they need to find a place, they need to find her and they need to find a place where she can give birth. Uh, also, meanwhile, Angel had gone back into the hotel in the first place to get the scrolls that um, Wesley was not quite done translating and he doesn't get them. Instead, Lila gets them. Um, because, of course, Lila's there, too. There's a lot, of, a lot of players involved still in this episode. <laughs> um, we also get kind of the final confirmation of the flashbacks with Holtz and see that what Darla and Angel really did to him and his family is not only did they murder his wife and baby, but they turned his young daughter into a vampire so that he would come home and find her and then have to make a choice about what to do with her. And he chooses to throw her in the sun and have her burst into flames. Um, but yeah, Angel eventually tracks down where Darla is. Meanwhile, the rest of the gang goes to, um, Lorne's bar because they're hoping that they can use that as the place for her to give birth. Um, Lorne is just this close to putting the finishes touches back on his bar. He's installing these new spells so that nobody can fight in there. Um, seems like everything's coming up Lorne. <laughs> um, but Angel eventually does find Darla and they have a pretty emotional confrontation where she reveals that because the baby is human, it has this, or maybe not human, the baby has a soul. It's making her feel like she has a soul. She's having all these really complicated emotions that we can discuss. Um, mm. But Angel convinces her to come back and have the baby. Um, but they keep getting attacked. Uh, somebody ex- throws um, a, uh, what are those called? A tub of gasoline or something into the bar and sets it aflame. So it explodes. So now Lauren still doesn't have a bar, <laughs> um, but everybody's able to escape and, uh, they keep going. And eventually Darla, um, is trying to give birth. And they, I've also realized, sorry, this is so off track, but they've realized that because Darla isn't human and the baby is more or less at term that it's not really going to work. She can't really give birth to it because she doesn't really have the proper biology to do so. But also the longer that it stays inside of her, it's not really getting any nourishment from her. So the baby is probably going to die. And so in the final act of something or other, uh, Darla stakes herself, uh, leaving just thing or other, (laughs) leaving just the baby behind. Um, and then Holtz finally re-encounters everybody. Angel has his baby, but Holtz lets him go. And so it seems at first, like maybe Holtz is just turned a leaf or, you know, decided he doesn't want to do him, but he instead admits that he's got, he seems to suggest that he has something even darker planned than just stealing the baby right now or killing it. No mercy. No mercy. Right. That was what he said. Okay. Well, it seems like you liked this episode. I, I, I I you know, yeah, sorry. Let me admit up first, up front that I didn't watch this one as closely as I've normally been watching every episode that we talk about, because I think I was just a little bit burnt out on like the last one. So maybe I didn't give it a fair shake is what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, I um, in a similar vein, my expectations for this episode were as low as they probably could be, and I just approached it as like, let me just get through this, mm-hmm. and I found myself pleasantly surprised, I think, because some of the things we had talked about last time about how we wanted the flashbacks to be better used mm-hmm. and to have the like to learn a little more about like Holtz's motivations and his skills and like all of this stuff. And I feel like we, some of that got delivered this week where, you know, I thought the flashback with his daughter being turned into a vampire and like the devastation of what he had to do was actually really effective and like also showed his, I don't want to say brutality because like she, she wasn't his daughter anymore, but But like his commitment to just like efficiently getting, taking care of the problem. Like he gave himself a night to like, yeah, sing to her and enjoy and then he literally threw her out in the sun yeah and you know it's it's a bit brutal to watch but it's also really effective of like what this man has been through at the hands of angel and darla and i think it gives you a lot more understanding of like why he would have like put himself through this 200 year sleep to like Mm -hmm. come back and get his revenge like i totally bought it at that point and then we also to the the complaint we had last time about not really seeing his capabilities Watching him walk out of Caritas and throw that drum down the stairs with some grenades or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, is kind of badass. And also, like, this is a man who will stop at nothing and gives no thought to someone's establishment or innocent bystanders. Like, everyone in that establishment, except for Lorne, was obviously human. Yeah. And um, he didn't care because if they're associating with demons, like, to hell with them, basically. And, and, but Holtz himself is associating with demons, as like Angel says, right, he used to work with men. Out. Yeah. And I thought that was all really effective in, I don't want to say totally fixing a lot of the like complaints I have, but it, it was kind of a step in the right direction. And I also really loved his interaction with Lila. <laughs> I thought that whole conversation was fantastic. I thought she was the perfect person to kind of give him the rundown the download yeah. on like what's been happening in the, intervening 200 years with Angel and Darla and, like, establishing Angel has a soul. No, Darla's still the same evil yeah. like, person. Um, and I, because I thought coming from Angel, like, I thought that was a smart choice. Like, coming from Angel, it wouldn't have worked as effectively. Like, yeah. he would just kind of be groveling for his life. Yeah. Um, and so coming from a disinterested party such as Lila right, was like, right. like, she's like, oh, you're torturing him. Like, that's fine. Sure. I'll wait, yeah. you know. Like, and to kind of tell Holtz, like, she's a credible source for Holtz to hear this from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all of that, I think, really improved it. But I also think what I really liked about this episode, surprisingly, was the Darla stuff. Oh, I where, see. That's, yeah. So she, I, Darla has been a problem. And I think some of it is the way the character is written. Some of it, I think, is the acting choices. Some of it is just she's this wedge between Angel and the rest of the team, which, yeah. as we've talked about, like, their dynamic is what makes this show work. Right. But I thought, especially coming on the heels of, like, Spike's, you know, struggles and yeah. um, behavior in the Buffy episode, it was a really interesting window to this idea that you were saying where you might be wanting to change and wanting to be good, but as a vampire without a soul, a lot of them have this awareness that they're limited, like mm-hmm. they cannot, like they can love, they've made that that right. that clear. Um, they've also made it clear though that Darla is not a vampire who has ever felt love and yeah. even for Angel, it was more amusement and, like, yeah. interest in what is this psychopath going to do next than, like, actual love. But to see her realize that she loves this child and also recognize that it's not because of her, 
that it's once this child is born, she's going to go right back to being what she used to be. And in that moment, not want to be that person and not want to be a risk to her child. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, I found her sacrifice very compelling. I guess I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think for me, and I will snap, try to snap myself out of it next week because it's not fun to be this person you know I think my my ultimate struggle is that like they did do a lot of things right in this episode but it's just too little too late you know I've had so much anger built up at Darla specifically as a character that like watching her have a personal moment of growth was really unsatisfying the way that you know what why it at least in a lot of ways for me works with Spike is because they've thrown these little bones through four and you know seasons four and five so that when these other things happen, I have things to look back on that I care about. Whereas, like, I, I do understand that Darla's a different character. She's got a totally different path. But it's just, it's harder to say, she's been bad this whole time. I've not liked her on the show this whole time. And then to give her this one final twist of a heroic moment. Not even the, I, I, don't, I like this, I'm, I don't mind the sacrifice scene. I didn't like her spilling her guts to Angel because I just can't, I can't, will it up in myself to care about Darla specifically. So it's like, I appreciate what she's going through, but her, I, her personally, I don't care about. (laughs) I care, would care if it was any other character, I'd probably care more. You're right to point out that I think it's, I don't know. It, it was on the fence for me that whole scene though, because I also feel like they're trying to make some pretty big leaps and bounds with like what parenthood is and what this means and what it's like to be a mother. And I think it's also a little bit of a disservice to Darla who doesn't care about being a mother has literally been trying to end this pregnancy since she found out about it to kind of have her have this moment where she's like, I get it now. Motherhood is the answer to everything. It was like, also, I think a little bit, I kind of rolled my eyes. So it's not totally fair. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. I just think as usual, I think kind of the problem with Angel is that the show itself doesn't they don't do the work. They don't put in the effort early on. They just have a, an idea that's like kind of a half-baked good idea, and then they execute it. And it's like, well, this isn't very fun to watch because you haven't been laying the seeds for this at all. Yeah, I, I agree with you where I think Darla's speech... Okay, that is not the point of the show that I was like, oh, this is great. No, no, I know, like, yeah. I understand what they're trying to say, but I do agree with you where it felt a little bit too late where had they shown us this whole time... That she was growing... Yeah, that she was, that she was, like, the only thing protecting the child has been, like, some mystical force. Like, Darla has actively been drinking, been, like, murdering people, been, like, putting herself at risk, like, and then all of a sudden, right when she's giving birth, she feels enormous love for the child. Yeah, yeah. That, to me, felt a little out of sync. But this idea that she says, like, and had she come to this realization sooner exactly, I think it would have been more effective. And I think this is always the problem with Darla, is they want her to give these big thematic speeches to Angel. Yes, they do. And, and she's not good at backed them. up by the character, really. And so I, like, this is why Darla works so much better with Drusilla because that's her, that's where she fits. And, like, it's not as much of, like, a leap, whereas had we seen Darla cradling the belly even or just something to show yeah. that she cared at all instead of just, like, yeah, whatever. Like, I... It does kind of undercut the speech a little bit, but then I do think they wanted to build up to a reason that Darla would stake herself. I and I think that that's fine. And I think what I said, I would, I will reiterate. I think they have great ideas. They just are half baked, and they don't execute. So then, when they execute them, they don't come. They just aren't that good. Or it's not that they're not good. It's just that like I can watch this and I see how this is 
80% of the way to being a really effective, great scene, but because it's not a hundred percent, it's like hard to really truly feel it. You know, it's not the same at all as when Buffy drives a knife, a sword through Angel's chest. And that is like the culmination of a lot of buildup and feelings. And like, I think they, they keep thinking that they're like recreating moments like that by having her do these really dramatic things or anybody do these really dramatic actions, but because they haven't had the buildup, it's just not the same. I think that, and I don't always think that they're aware of that. I think they're like, yeah, we did it. Great. <laughs> you know, another, another iconic scene in the books. And it's like, well, not really. <laughs> it's really interesting because I saw that this episode was written and directed by um, Tim Minear, mm-hmm. who is like one of the main showrunners, mm-hmm. I think, on the show or writers or creators. I don't remember, but he's like a main guy on yeah. the show. And so I thought, okay, this is clearly like head, head guys taking over control right. for what they are looking at to be an important episode. Yeah. Um, and still kind of failing on some level. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think the show is struggling to make this all land. Yeah. But like I said, my my bar was so low. Yeah, that's fair. That I was pleasantly surprised that I wasn't annoyed having to watch this whole I thing. I think, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I, 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 actually, I think you also hit on another, another interesting note when you were saying that you really enjoyed the dynamic between Lila and Holtz. And I think, again, that's kind of what was missing or what is missing is that they introduce Holtz alongside another new introduced character. So it's like we just see him and this demon guy who we still don't really have an explanation for. So it's like, it's really confusing. It's really hard to care again because I don't know who either of these people are and I think that you're right that like they, what they should be doing is pairing Holtz a new character with these established characters that we know because it gives us a really solid frame to understand the scene from you know it's like oh him and Lila I get this I understand why Lila is acting the way she is and I can see what effect that would have on a guy like Holtz where it's like when it's this other guy explaining things to him it's just like who are you you know so I guess I'm just you're right that I think that scene was better and I think that the reason that Holtz has kind of been struggling or was struggling for me in the last episode is because it's like the way that they're choosing to introduce him is just like completely out of left field with another completely out of left field character instead of like doing what you normally do and pair them with somebody that we know so that we can understand what's going on. No, I think that's a great thing to bring up because I watching this episode, Wolfram and Hart is scrambling. Yeah. Like they don't know what's going on in there. And, you know, we haven't seen in the past couple seasons, they're not usually on the back foot. They're usually the ones controlling the problem Mm -hmm. like they're causing the problem like they angel is a thorn in their side and they're coming up with various ways to try to get rid of him this whole whole situation would seem like it would be the perfect thing for them to do like enlist a demon to bring back holtz or find out that this demon had done this and like you know bring them into the fold but instead they're on the outside trying to figure out what the hell is going on like who is this like person who like came in and decimated their you know, army that they sent to the hotel. Yeah. Why is Darla having a baby? Like all of this, like the scrolls they, you know, didn't have possession of. It's, it's all a little bit strange considering what we've been kind of taught to view their role as. And I also wonder if it's like, because if you keep having Wolfram and Hart throwing stuff at Angel, that also gets a little bit boring. So this is a slightly slight twist on it where like they're the third party in the equation, but they're not, they're also outside of it, right? Like they're not actively participating. They're just trying to mitigate the damage basically, but it's still not clear like what to them the damage would be. So like, I think what I'm struggling with now is that, okay, Lindsay's gone. 
he had a personal vendetta against Angel. Wolverman Hart decided he was a bother. But why is he still, like, why are they still, is it because he's fighting for good and they're on the side of evil? Like, their investment in Angel at this point is a little bit unclear. Like, they've failed on so many levels, like with Darla and, you know, everything else that they've tried. Why are they still trying? Yeah. I guess is my question. Yeah, it's seems Cut your losses and... Yeah. So I think not understanding their motivation is also kind of... Muddying it, yeah. Yeah, it's causing some, like, it's just, I think this is all just messy. Yeah. And I want them to, like, tighten it up. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess I will say, and this is a surprise to no one, I loved the scenes in Lauren's bar. I'm so happy to have Lauren back. Where has he been? You know, like... And it was so sad, and I felt so bad for him. I think I got more emotional weight out of Lauren's bar being destroyed again in the, like, nick of time than I did out of any of the Darla stuff. But, again, just because purely because, like, I know who Lauren is. I understand how his bar got that way, and I care about him. Um, but even just the yeah, little... Yeah, you gotta treat your workers right. I thought that was the most compelling thing, where Lauren was just dismissive of this worker, and he's the one who went and told Holtz where they were. Oh, but he like, was dismissive of him because he knew he was the he was doing it wrong on purpose. No, I know, oh, okay. but I'm saying, like, to have him then be the one that gives away their position, I thought was clever. Like, yeah, that to me was, I was like, just more of that, yeah. you know? Um. Yeah, but and and even just the like little silly gags of it's like they're trying to see, test if the spell is working, so they just have to keep slapping gun. It was like, yeah, yeah, that's fun. You know, yeah. lightly slapping, huh? nothing, nothing too <laughs> over the top. But yeah, just getting to watch them. I guess what I'm really trying to say is, again, what I like is seeing all of them in a room together, <laughs> talking to each other and hanging out. <laughs> well, now Angel has baby. Now Angel has a baby. Ugh, I also, I think it grates a little bit when Angel is like, what about my son? You know, like he also is just like a little overdramatic as a father figure. It's fine. He's allowed to feel that way. It's just like, you know, it just got real zero to a hundred there. My son's a demon. I like it better in the next few episodes when he's just like delighted to have a kid. Yes, that I'm, I think I'll enjoy. Well, I, not to give short shrift to Angel, but I, yeah. Yeah. This show hasn't earned my... (laughs) full attention at still I mean yeah. as much as I I, I will say like I, I want to just repeat like I was happy that I finally had an episode that I did not just loathe yeah but, yeah yeah um I, I think I don't have any more to say about it yeah um we're at the hour mark weeks. anyway so hour plus so yeah we will wrap it up well we talked a lot about smash we did uh, <laughs> uh okay so where do we go now? Uh, now we go to... Where do we go from here? Where do we go from um, here? Uh, I, uh, I, I listened to some songs last night, so I've, I've got all the lyrics in my head. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, I ordered the um, Once More With Feeling on vinyl. I'm really excited about it. I really want it, but Claire, if you're listening, uh, I'm going to need my Christmas present finally mailed to me. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I pre-ordered it because it's not... I don't think it actually comes out until May or something. I didn't even really look at that. I just figured it out... March 20th was the day that you could do the order, so I did it. Well, maybe it'll make a good birthday present for me. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, well, we've got Wrecked next. Yeah. Your favorite. My favorite. And um, also Dad. Okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah. I think that's right. That's the one that you said last time, right? And it was... Oh, yeah. Assume that that's right? Uh, Maybe this is why... 
Angel isn't good is because we don't want it to be. <laughs> I know. Yes, the next episode is dead. Okay. All right, I'll try and watch it, and I will try to watch it with eyes of someone who loves it. You'll try to watch it. I hope no, you with watch eyes it. of someone who loves oh. it. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> like minimum requirement, just watch it. Yes. <laughs> um, I might make you do the recap again. Yeah, so. I know. That's no. fine. All right. Um, all right. So we've got those coming up. I don't have any pop culture this week. Um, I do, for once. Woo me. Um, <laughs> uh. Jenny Lewis has a new album. It's called On the Line. Uh, I assume I've mentioned her before on the podcast, but who knows? Um, she's an indie rock artist, and she's one of my favorites. I've seen her a bunch of times. Um, been listening to all the singles, but the album just came out on Friday, so you can stream it anywhere. And it actually, a fun, cool thing about it is that, well, this is mostly cool, but also like a little bit irritating. Um, they did uh, like what I think is exclusive artwork for Spotify. So when you stream the album on Spotify, every song has this illustration that's like a tarot deck style illustration. Um, and it's really cool. They're like lightly animated, like not really animated, but just like a couple like leaves are fluttering in like the background and stuff. And I was like, just bare. I happened to notice it because like whoever looks at their phone when they're streaming something, you just like put it on and then like put your phone down. But it was pretty cool. I am a little disappointed, though, that it seems like it's exclusive to Spotify. And I was like, oh, maybe you get this also with, like, the digital download or something. But I don't think you do. Yeah, that's so interesting to me because on some level I'm like, oh, it makes sense to, like, focus on a packaging for streaming because that's that how is everybody, how most yeah. people are going to be getting it. But also, to your point, streaming music is not really a visual medium. Yeah. <laughs> um. But it's cool. I mean, they also obviously there's like a bunch of there's art, actual album artwork and like a bunch of stuff that they did in the vinyl release, too. So it's not like they only did artwork for Spotify, but I did think it was cool. Did you get the vinyl? I did, but I haven't gotten it yet. Cool. What team are you on? Oh, oh uh, team Tara. Tara. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> team Tara. I think we'll just be team Tara from now until, you know, a certain episode. But she's great. She's the only one who I could tolerate in that episode. I mean, I love the episode, but everybody was terrible. Except Xander was fine. Yeah, I guess. For once. And even Anya. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. Anya's the other bright shining star. Yeah. All right. Um, But yeah, Team Tara. Team Tara. She was great with Dawn. And like I said last time, our opportunities are dwindling. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be back next week. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you then. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. 